Tonight we're going to be looking at the events just leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. That's why I felt it appropriate that we actually read the text of his crucifixion, because we won't be uh, expositing that tonight, yet alluding to it all throughout the whole time. Mark 15 Start in verse 6. Now at the feast, he, that is Pilate, used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Title of the sermon tonight is What Will You Do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? And I desire tonight that you would believe that Jesus' death was truly in your place. During the war between Britain and France, Men were enlisted into the French army by a lottery system. When someone's name was drawn out of that lottery, he had to go off into battle. One day, the authorities came to a young man and told him that he had been chosen. He was the lucky, yet not-so-lucky guy. But he refused to go. He refused to go, saying, Actually, I was shot to death. Two years ago. Now, at first they questioned his sanity. Figured this guy was crazy. But he insisted that this indeed was the case. He claimed that the military records would show that he had been enlisted two years before and that he was indeed killed in action. But how can they be, they questioned. You're alive right now in front of us. You see, a person could be exempt from joining the army by this lottery system if another man was willing to take his place. This young man began to explain that when his name came up the first time, a close friend said to him, you know, you have a large family, and I'm not married, I have nobody who is dependent upon me. I'll take your name, I'll take your address, and I'll go in your place. 
That man went off to war and died. And as these authorities checked the records, it indeed showed that this young man had died a couple years earlier. You see, the country had no legal claim upon that man. He was free. And it was because his friend had served and died in his place. You know, we're all enemies of God. Every one of us are born an enemy of God. We're at war with him. And as his enemies, we will be condemned, condemned for our sin, for our opposition against him. Friend, if you don't know the Lord today, you are engaged in a war against the creator of the universe every single day. And you are already enlisted. Christ, the Son of God, is going to usher in D-Day, Judgment Day, when for your war crimes against God, for your sin against God, you will pay the ultimate price of condemnation in hell for all eternity. The question is, what will you do with this Jesus? He's coming to judge you for your sins. So what will you do? Will you be hateful towards him? Will you be passive towards him? Or will you allow Jesus Christ to take your place just like that young man did? Those are our three points tonight. Will you be hateful? Will you be passive? And will you be Barabbas? Actually, we need to set up the context here before we get to Barabbas. So turn with me back to chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, verse 53. It says that they led Jesus away to the high priests and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. Now this was after Jesus was already betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas. He was arrested by the authorities, and he was taken to Annas, the former high priest. And then after Annas, he went on to Caiaphas, who was the current high priest and the son-in-law of Annas. Those trials that he was subjected to were in the middle of the night. It was essentially, you could think of it as last night, from the middle of the night, Thursday night into Friday morning. Jesus got no sleep. He was dragged along in chains uh, from one trial to the next. Now, this trial by night that they subjected Christ to was actually against their own rabbinical law, which said that it had to be during the, the day and at the temple. Neither demands was met by uh, the Jewish leaders. Their hatred for Christ was so strong, so intense, that they would rather break their own religious laws than let this man live. Why? 
Well, it says in verse 55, Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. Verse 56, For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. Why were they trying to seek Christ's death? Well, it wasn't for any crimes that Jesus had committed. That's what's clear in the text. Jesus didn't die because he was a criminal. He's brought before the council, that is the Sanhedrin. That's kind of like the Supreme Court of our day. You could think of it that way. The council was trying to find, actually they were seeking out, is a better way of translating it. They were seeking out testimony that would possibly stick against Jesus so that they could find anything to accuse him of so that they could kill him. If they were going to murder Jesus, they had to at least try to make it look legal, but they couldn't. Their only option was for Jesus to incriminate himself. Jump down to verse 60. The high priest stood up and came forward and questioned Jesus, saying, Do you not answer? Was it that these men are testifying? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent, and he did not answer. See, Christ, he didn't need to testify of his own statements. He didn't need to uh, recount or testify or give witness to his own actions that he had done in the past. His statements, his teachings, his actions, his miracles, they all spoke for themselves. Besides, they were all done in public with plenty of witnesses. So what could Jesus say that would give these people the green light to execute them then? It could only be the truth. Verse 61. But he kept silent and did not answer. And again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. You see, Jesus Christ was crucified for the truth. He was condemned for simply saying he is who he is. Who is this Jesus? Well, he says here, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? That word Christ is Messiah. That is the Anointed One. This means that he was the one chosen by God to carry out God's work among mankind. That's what it means to be anointed in this way. This supremely anointed one, this Messiah, was the one that Israel was waiting for for many years. He was the promised one that Israel waited for who would be king of Israel, the one to bring victory over Israel's enemies and to restore peace with God. 
this Messiah, he says also, is the Son of the Blessed One. Jesus Christ is the Son of the Blessed One. The Blessed One here is God the Father, of course. It's 1 Timothy 1.11 speaks about the gospel of the blessed God. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, He who is a blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. This phrase, a blessed one, or blessed be the Lord, is repeated throughout the Old Testament, where it says, blessed be the Lord, numerous times, or blessed be the Lord God, or blessed be my rock. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. For Jesus to be the Son of God, the Son of the Blessed One, is for Him to also be blessed in the same way as the Father, because He is the Father's Son, like Father, like Son. This means that Christ is claiming to be co-equal with God the Father, sharing in the same divine nature, the same eternal divine nature, being uncreated, being the one supreme God over all. That is who Jesus says, I am, in verse 62. That's who he is. Jesus is the Lord of Psalm 110 and the son of Daniel 7. He says, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is speaking of Jesus as judge, supreme judge over all of creation. This is who Jesus is. He's the promised one. He's God, the Son, and He is judge. Jesus affirms simply, yes, that's me. And when these men heard it, they heard it as blasphemy. That is irreverent speech against God. It was simply the truth, though. He was simply admitting the truth, but yet these men saw it as high-handed blasphemy against God. And so, that's all that was needed. That's all that was needed for his enemies to condemn him to death. You see, these people, these religious leaders, they hated Christ. They hated Jesus. And so I need to ask, is this you? Is this you tonight? Now you might say, well, I don't go around killing Christians, much less Christ. I wouldn't crucify him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate him like this. Not that bad. Young person, you can hate Christ this way yet come to church every week. It's entirely possible. Because this is what is in the heart of sinful mankind. Are you willing to at least hear Christ out? Are you willing to at least hear the arguments and the the sermons, the lessons of Christianity to the end? Are you maybe willing to let the Bible say what it has to say? But as soon as you hear something that offends you, You respond with hostility and anger? Is that you? Then you are like these men. You see, the true nature of that kind of heart is displayed here 
in verse 65. Look at what the hatred of the heart towards Christ does. Mark 14, 65. Son began to spit at him and to blindfold him and to beat him with their fists and to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. This is our lovely Savior being treated this way with contempt and hatred. And yes, Christian, your blood should boil at remembering these things. But if you don't know the Lord tonight, maybe it's not a big deal. Your blood doesn't boil the way it should against the atrocity of what they did to the perfect one. Up to this point, Jesus' trial had been in the cover of night. All of, all of them not being legal, all these trials going from place to place, this, these accusations and the condemnation when it says they all condemned him to be deserving of death in verse 64, that's all illegitimate. None of it is legal. None of it is legally binding. Now it's early Friday morning. Mark chapter 15. Early Friday morning. Jesus is brought before Pilate now. Verse 1. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council, look, they're, they're still around, immediately held a consultation. And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. So since the whole trial the night before was illegitimate, had no legal weight to it, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Sanhedrin, they, they held a meeting first thing in the morning at daybreak just to make it legit. And so from there, they, they brought Jesus to Pilate. Now you might be wondering, why Pilate? Why, if they've already condemned him to death, why don't they just execute him? Why do they have to go and get Rome involved? Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. He was a Roman governor of Judea, where the Jews lived. Under the reign of Tiberius Caesar, the, the Roman emperor, Pilate was delegated the responsibility of ruling this region of Judea, where many Jewish people lived. Israel was, you see, not an independent nation. They couldn't just do things on their own. They lived inside the realm of Rome. They had to follow Rome's rules, even though they had their own rules of their own within that governance. They had to live by Roman law. And Roman law said that the Jews could have their own system of government, like priests, elders, a Sanhedrin, and so on. But there were limitations to what they could do. One limitation was that the Jews could not put anyone to death. They could sentence someone to death. But Rome had to verify that sentence, and then Rome had to be the one to carry it out in execution. 
So, Pilate begins to put Jesus on trial. Verse 2. Pilate questioned him. Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, It is as you say. The chief priests began to accuse him harshly. And then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they have brought against you? Jesus claimed to be king of the Jews because he was king of the Jews. He is king of the Jews. He's the king of kings, lord of lords. He's the king of the universe. He is the Messiah, the anointed and promised king. That's who he was. The enemies of Christ thought that this claim of being the Jewish king would be enough to get Pilate to execute Jesus, since this would have been a threat to Caesar, the Roman king, the Roman emperor. So they bring that charge, they bring that up. Pilate, though, he viewed that accusation as not really his problem, it seems. It seems like to him it was a simple argument over the Jewish religion. Yeah, sure, you can be king over the Jews, but really, Caesar is king, so whatever, you want to just pretend in your little, little pretend nation over there. It's kind of the attitude that comes across here. Later, actually, in verse 14, look at verse 14. Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? Pilate, did not see any evil in Jesus. There is nothing that would warrant the death penalty. And this is even after, in verse 3, the chief priests accused Jesus of many things. So they brought this one main accusation that he claims to be king of the Jews to Pilate, but, but then when Pilate seems to not really care, they start piling on the other uh, accusations. And remember from the night before, nothing could stick. All of it was contradictory. Yet, not surprisingly, they hurled all these accusations against Christ. They were essentially lying through their teeth, lying out of their hatred towards Jesus. And in verse 4, Pilate gives Jesus a chance to defend himself, but he remained silent. Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus, verse 5, made no further answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Certainly this wasn't uh, the first time that Pilate dealt with charges that could lead to a death sentence. Certainly this wasn't the first time that the Jews brought somebody before him to be crucified or to be executed. Pilate likely heard hundreds of men accused of crimes. And certainly none of those accused of crimes before Pilate were ever silent. Think about that. Every other criminal 
would have defended themselves, right? Loudly. Vehemently arguing that the charges against them were false. I mean, even if, even if a criminal had to lie, a criminal would not go down silently. And even if the charges were true, and the criminal was just caught red-handed, he would at least beg for mercy. There would not be silence. Yet it says, but Jesus made no further answer. Notice Pilate's response. So Pilate was amazed. That is, Pilate marveled. He, he wondered in amazement at this. After all, this was a sight that he had never seen before, right? Something that he had never seen before. A man who was willingly submitting himself to the death of a cross. The silence of Jesus in response to false accusations was nothing less than astonishing to Pilate. His silence, of course, reminds us of Isaiah's description of our Lord in Isaiah 53, 7, where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. This was our Lord. It seems like Jesus was almost intending to go to the cross, doesn't it? After all, that's why he came. He says, I came to seek and to save the lost. He says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he came to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why he came. And so Jesus doesn't fight it. Nonetheless, Pilate does not take Jesus' side. Do you notice that? He doesn't stick up for Jesus. He, it seems like he just remains passive, excusing himself from having to make any real decision. He, he just keeps on pushing the decision back onto the Jews. And in other accounts, he actually symbolically washes his hands of the guilt of the blood of this man. Even though you can't really do that. Is this you? Are you passive when it comes to Christ? Are you like Pilate? Does the story of Jesus' death seem foreign to you? Do the teachings of the Bible sound strange to your ears? Do Jesus' commands like to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, do those things sound ridiculous to you? And you just stare at Christians in wonder and amazement? Are you shocked or are you offended by the biblical teachings that you are dead in your sins, unable to please God, guilty before Him, 
and in need of forgiveness. Is that like startling to you? Friend, I would beseech you tonight, don't just stay there wondering if all this can really be true. Don't stay in that state. That's where Pilate stayed. Passive, amazed, startled by what Jesus would do in his character, but yet passive all nonetheless. Believe in Jesus Christ tonight. Trust in him alone as the one who can remove your guilt from you before God. Pilate, he missed his chance to, de- to declare Jesus innocent. That chance came and it went. But there was another way for Jesus to escape the, the misery of the cross. And his name was Barabbas. Verse 6. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. And the man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. So, at the feast of Passover, which was tonight, which was this Friday night, at the feast of the Passover, the, the, the governor of Judea would join in the festivities by releasing any prisoner of their choice. This was a tradition that seems to have been done for the sake of diplomacy between Rome and the Jews, since they were ruling over them. It was a kind of act that gave the Jewish people a chance to save someone that maybe they felt was wrongly imprisoned by Rome. And so, of course, Pilate saw this as an opportunity for Jesus to be let go. Notice that he doesn't just stand up and say, this man is innocent, let him go. No, he just passively tries to maneuver. From Matthew's account in Matthew 27, Pilate is actually the one who brings up the name of Barabbas. And commentators believe that Pilate brings up Barabbas, who was a notorious criminal, thinking that, well, they surely wouldn't want this guy to go free more than Jesus. This guy's a scoundrel. Certainly we don't want him on our streets again. Just give us Jesus instead. Barabbas was a thief, a robber. He was also a murderer as well as an insurrectionist, that is, a, a rebel, uh, someone who wanted to overthrow the government. Think about that. In every sphere of life and law, Barabbas was a criminal and a sinner. Materially, he was a robber. Morally, he was a murderer. Societally, He was an insurrectionist. Any way you looked at it, Barabbas was a bad guy. He was a criminal. He was one of the bad guys. He was a villain. Verse 9. Pilate answered them, 
saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd and asked him to release Barabbas for them instead. You see, when given the option to choose between an innocent Jesus and a despicable Barabbas, they chose Barabbas. How wicked is the heart of man. It was because they would not have Jesus be their king. They refused to have him rule over them. You see, Jesus did not let the Jewish leaders just get away with whatever they wanted to do with their authority. They used their authority sinfully with a heavy hand. And he condemned them for their abusive and prideful ways. And for leading his, God's people away from God rather than to him. Jesus' call was to love and serve others in humility. And this is actually what drew the crowds of people to follow Jesus during his earthly ministry. And the leaders hated this. Notice verse 10 the chief priest, had handed him over. Why? Because of envy. They hated him. He had what they wanted. The unquestioned loyalty of the people. The devotion of the people. The obedience of the people. He had what they wanted. And so they hated him. Is that you? Do you hate Christ that way? Are you envious of him? Or are you envious of his people? When given the choice between anything else and Jesus, the sinful heart will choose the lesser. We will always choose what is wicked as long as it's not Jesus, you see. Now from there, it was only an issue of what to do with Jesus. Verse 12 through 15, answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. The crowd here is led by the elders, led by the scribes and the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. They wanted blood. They craved it. And their hatred toward Christ had been stirred up into such a frenzy that with one voice they cry out, Crucify him. Verse 14, Pilate seems, it seems he's startled by their evil answer and asks, why? What evil has he done? Don't you see the innocence of Jesus here? Mark was writing this gospel to Romans, to Gentiles, not to Israelites. And so, 
of course, he highlights this fact that Pilate himself, a Roman leader, declared this man innocent, could not find anything evil that has been done by Jesus Christ. Our Lord was not crucified for anything that he had done wrong. He was perfect in every way. Oh, how wide the difference between Jesus and Barabbas. Their answer was not to give a reason why Jesus was deserving of crucifixion because he was not deserving of it. Rather, their answer was the same, but now with unbridled intensity, crucify him, they shout back again. It says they shouted all the more. That is, all the more intensely, with more vigor. Now what about Barabbas? Verse 15, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having been scourged, he handed him over to, the, to be crucified. What about Barabbas? What happened to him? Because of the crimes that he had done, Barabbas was certainly sentenced to death. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Barabbas and what he was like? He was certainly a hard man, an angry man. He hated the government. He hated people enough to kill him and to rob from them. He had been arrested for his crimes. Likely, he was not very sorry for what he had done. And on that morning, he probably woke up knowing that he would be hanging on a cross by the end of the day. Certainly, he knew about the tradition of letting a prisoner free during the Passover feast. Surely, he knew about that, but I mean, come on, he never really thought that he would be the one set free. He committed crimes against every social class. Remember, breaking every kind of law. The Jewish people certainly wouldn't want him to to, uh, be back on the streets again. You can imagine his hopelessness and the certainty of his death. Just a matter of time. Now imagine what that would have been like for Barabbas to hear that Pilate was going to set him free. What went through his mind? Joy? Excitement? Surprise? Confusion? Are you sure you have the right guy? Don't you know who I am? I'm Barabbas. Then imagine what it would have been like for him to hear that while he was set free, Jesus of Nazareth 
was to be crucified instead. Of course, Barabbas has heard about Jesus. It only makes sense because some thought that Jesus himself was an insurrectionist, just like Barabbas. They thought that he was doing crimes against the government and that he was trying to start his own following, trying to start his own kingdom. It's not hard to imagine somebody like Barabbas asking around about this new guy on the scene, threatening the leadership and claiming to be the new king. And for Barabbas to hear that this Jesus, the one whom he inquired about, the one who, had did so, who has done so many good things, his reputation pre- preceded him. This Jesus who never once broke the law, this Jesus who was known for his teachings and his miracles and his kindness to all, To hear that this Jesus was to die instead of him? How stunning that would be. Nearly every commentator agrees that it is highly likely that the cross that Jesus himself died upon was originally built for Barabbas. Dear friend, Will you be Barabbas? Will this be you? Yes, you have sinned against God. Absolutely. Yes, you have earned yourself condemnation for eternity. Absolutely. Maybe you have hated him. Maybe you've just been passive in the past about Jesus and just kind of ignored the Sundays as they would roll on, ignoring the sermons, ignoring the pleadings of your parents to come to Christ for salvation, ignoring the, the invitations from your friends and your family to surrender to Christ and to believe on Him for your salvation. Maybe that's you. Just passive. You are deserving of sin. Or you, excuse me, you are deserving of hell. Eternal hell. Your passivity, your hatred towards Christ are sin. High-handed sin. It's treason against the creator of their universe. That's what you're doing. When you're living for yourself, When you are loving what you want to love, when you are loving yourself more than God, that is sin in the highest form. That you would try and govern your own life and guide yourself through this life without any acknowledgement of what God requires of you. That you would hate somebody or lie or cheat or steal You are just like Barabbas. Don't you see? You are him. And Christian, don't you see? You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. 
I am the chief of sinners. Do you see yourself as that, Christian? That would have been me. They, God has already built the cross for me, as it were. It's already been fabricated, and the measurements were taken. I am fully deserving of my eternal judgment in hell to experience the wrath of God for all eternity. Yes, that's me. I deserve that. And yet, out of nowhere, I learn that somebody is going to take my place. And that somebody is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, we are all at war with God. We are all enemies of God and His Son. You're already enlisted in that war. The question is, what will you do? What will you do with Christ? That coming D-Day doesn't allow you just to do nothing. It's coming whether you like it or not. It is appointed for that every man should die, and after that comes judgment. You don't get a second chance. So what will you do? Will you remain hateful towards Christ? Because his demands upon your life are just too much, and you don't see him as valuable and worth it? Will you remain passive and allow time to just slip by as you ignore the voice of your Savior calling out to you? Or will you allow Jesus Christ to take your place? Oh, dear friend, will you be Barabbas today? Will you be him today? Will you let Jesus take your place on that cross? You know you deserve to hang there under God's judgment. But Jesus, you see, he freely offers to take your place. After all, he already did it. He already hung on the cross. He already died. You just have to admit that you need him to take your place because you're a sinner. You have to confess that reality. And you have to turn from yourself, turn from your sin, and turn to God. Believe today that Christ did this for you, that he suffered in your place, that he died on your cross. And dear Christian, don't so quickly forget that you too were hateful and passive towards Christ. Yet in his sovereign love, God changed you and made you into Barabbas. He took your place. Jesus took your place on your cross already. He paid your debt there. He died your death there. He received your judgment for your sin there. And so rejoice. And we know that Sunday's coming. That the reality that he truly did die in my place and his payment truly was enough is proved on Sunday morning when Christ rises from the dead. That is 
the Father's signature at the top of your bill, paid in full, is the resurrection. So we anticipate that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would move on the hearts of people. That you would melt the heart of stone. That you would exchange it for a heart of flesh. And that person who has been hating towards you, full of vengeance, or just full of passivity, not taking you seriously, God, and just living their lives in selfishness, oh God, would you exchange that kind of attitude, that kind of heart for a heart that loves you, a heart that hates their sin but loves their Savior. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying in our place. Thank you that the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now we have access to the Father. Free access. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking our place. We love you. We worship you tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.